pension this morning to a text that I used to use in my evangelistic campaigns in the old days. I don't remember to talk about it in a long time. It's more or less evangelistic in its appeal. It's one of the old-time texts that old-time evangelists used to use quite often. One of the most famous sermons ever preached in this country, Sam Jones, preached from this text. I used to know country preachers, and I was a boy that used it. It's back in the book of Proverbs, where we've been talking to you over the radio for uh, two or three years about. But I don't think I've ever got to this verse yet. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and thou thou remedy. Uh, Proverbs 29.1 He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be suddenly destroyed, and thou thou remedy. Now, I'd like to call your attention to the fact that these are not my words. I'm not responsible for them. I didn't put them in the Bible. These words were written with a pen of inspiration. These words, whatever they mean, are absolutely true. You can't get rid of these words. They're in the Bible. And this Bible is God's book. There's no controversy here about the translation of these words. You've never heard any argument about that. They're simple. They're plain. They're direct. Now, if I'd said that, it would be an opinion on my part. I might express an opinion that uh, that was so, but that wouldn't make it so. But it is so because in the Holy Bible, the words of Almighty God. You know, if an angel would fly down from heaven and say these words today, they wouldn't be as authoritative as they are because they've been here all the time. It's in this book, this holy book. Oh, how we need to get back to this book. I remember when I was a boy, the old Bible on the center table. And we knew it was God's Word. We had no question about it. We walked lightly around it. When people were reading it, a sense of reverence came to us. Some of us remember our mothers with tears in their eyes and those tears overflowing and lodging the wrinkles of a cheek and chasing each other down and dropping on the page of the book. That's God's book. Back in those days when folks had respect for authority, they said, that's an authoritative Bible. Now, here it is in this book. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall be suddenly destroyed, and that without remedy. Now, the Lord has four methods by which he reproves men for sin. One method is through the Bible. The Bible is God's Word. If you just turn this Word loose, it carries reproof. That's what men have got against it. There's nothing in this Bible that ever condone wrongdoing. Uh, for instance, as I've told you in another message, Bob Ingersoll, that blasphemous infidel, used to go up and down this country and get a poor crowd and start to read a passage, and all at once he'd stop and say, ladies and gentlemen, you'll have to excuse me. I can't read the rest of that chapter to a mixed audience. It's not decent enough to read to a mixed crowd of refined people like this. And then those sinful hoodlums would applaud as if that was smart. That isn't smart. There are things in every medical book in this town you wouldn't get together, mixed crowd, and read to. But they're not indecent, they're not unclean, they were not written for the mixed crowd. Uh, there are some things in this Bible that are written to saints, some to sinners, some to nations, uh, some to empires, some to the church, see? And there are things in this Bible that deal with the disease of the souls of men. There are some to women, some to men. Uh, there are things here that God says to mothers and to wives and how they should live and to husbands how they should treat their wives. And there's some things in this Bible that has to do with the problems of life that, well, they're just words a little blunt. You can't use any other words. That's no argument against the Bible. 
The Bible's the only holy book this world ever saw. There is no other book holy like it. Why, if this was a bad book, an unclean book, you'd find on the newsstands with these magazines with nude women are on the outside of. And all this vile stuff has been circulating around this country this day and time. If this Bible was a vile book, an unclean book, uh, you'd have it in the underworld. But you don't have it in the underworld. You know, you can't stay around this Bible and read it and live in the underworld. You'll get out of the underworld and go to hell like pretty soon. Uh, here's a world, underworld home with uh, bad pictures on the walls and, and uh, bad music being played the piano. And one day a fallen creature comes in and her faded face and sad eye and she mem- remembers home and she looks over on the table and somebody's laid a Bible there and she walks up and t- takes the Bible and gets to thumb her way through it. And she reads the wage of sin is death. So in every one of us should give a kind of self to God. We've all gone astray. We're lost. There's a hell for wicked people and a heaven for good people. And God loved the world and sent his son to die and she keeps reading him. After a while she thinks about what she heard she's a little child and and she, her eyes filled with tears, and through her blinding tears, when she turns into a telescope, she looks up through the sky and thinks she sees God. Yeah, by with eyes of faith, of course. And, and she begins to pray, God be merciful to me, a sinner. She gets saved. Soon she gets saved and finds the Lord. And she says, I wish they'd take that picture off the wall. I'd never be happy anymore. I wish they'd hush that, those bad stories and stop those vile jokes. I, I can't listen to that anymore. My, cause the Bible was there and she read it. This is God's book. Oh, these smart elics in this country that think they know so much. I've been studying this Bible all my life. And no day by day something comes to me that I never knew before. There's never been a book like this. Now every little thing you need to know to be saved is just as plain as it can be. You say you can't understand the Bible. Well, of course there are depths there that have never been explored. You couldn't expect to fathom the depth of the mind of an infinite God. This book has progressive things in it, and there's progress in spiritual interpretation. But it's all simple about how to be saved. The road to heaven is so clear that a wayfaring man, though he'd be a fool, he'd miss it. Simple road. Can't save yourself. Jesus died to save you. The way you're saved is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ means to turn yourself over to him and trust him. Jesus said, come to me all the ends of the earth and be you saved. He didn't give you any theology in that statement. He just said, come to me, that's all. You don't have to have any theology to mount anything to be a Christian. All I told you many times when I came to Jesus, all I knew was he died to save me. That's all I knew. I didn't know a theological word just knew Jesus died for me, loved me, and I trusted him. Well, you don't have to be a theologian or a scholar. We're told to give a reason for the hope that's within us. Uh, but you have to have a hope within you to give a reason. You don't have any hope, and you're hopeless till you have Jesus. There's no hope outside of him. There's salvation in no other name. You're going to hell if you're not saved. Every one of you. Don't you sit there and think you can save yourself. Why, if Jesus Christ, could, if, do you think God would let Jesus die on the cross to save you if you could have saved yourself? Would you let your son go and suffer the agony that God's son suffered and have his beard pulled out and men spit in his face and have him humiliated and beaten up and cuffed around wishing you ever treated an animal? Would you let anybody do that to your son if, if uh, however much you might love a fella, uh, if that fella could fix himself? 
why Calvary is proof of the fact that God couldn't save sinners without Jesus dying on the cross save them. I've told you many times, infinite perfection puts about God infinite impossibilities. Some things God can't do. Why, God couldn't save you if you reject Jesus. Why? Because he's a just God, and infinite perfection puts about God infinite impossibilities. Why, the Bible says Jesus died so God could be just and the justifier of a man to accept Christ. Why, the vilest sinner ever lived can come to Jesus. Just come to him anytime, anywhere, to Jesus. Just come to him. All you got to do is come to him. All right. God can save you then. And he doesn't have to soil his hands to do it. He can say, well, this man's account's been paid. My son died for him. The debt's paid. And uh, he charges up our things to the Lord Jesus Christ, see, who paid the debt. See? And he can save you. And all the demons and all fallen angels can never accuse God of being but just God. See? Now, now, let's understand that. Now, God doesn't want you to go to hell. He said so. God says he doesn't will the death of anybody. You say, well, why don't we go on and save? That's none of your business. Why? Uh, you get into the realm of the infinite mind of Almighty God. What do you know about it? But you do know what God's told you. Now, God says he doesn't want you to be lost. So God comes down and warns you about how to be saved. Now, let me illustrate just a minute. You go down a road and you see a sign. and This sign says, go this way. See? Here's another sign. You say, this road's uh, closed. Here's another sign, this road is a hard road to travel. Here's another sign that says, stay off of this ground. It's posted, see. And you drive the highways, you've got any sense, you pay attention to those. Why don't you pay attention to God's signs? He's marked every road that leads to hell. Now, let's notice just a minute. You go down a road where you're tempted to covet. You say, I believe I'll travel this road. You're a covetous man. God puts a sign out that says, I shall not covet. You go down another road, here's a road turns off, says, I believe I'll go this way. You look up a sign that says, Thou shalt not steal. Now, if you want to steal, you just go ahead and go to hell. See? Just go on. Kick God's red ladder in the morning over. Pull down his sign. But don't blame God when you wake up in hell. God put a sign there to stop you, see? All right. Go on down the line, you're tempted to commit sins of uncleanness. That's a road. You want to travel it, go on down the road. God's not going to knock you in the head and stop you. He says, don't go that way. Come this way. This is the right way. You go down that road, all right, go ahead. But God's done his part. Don't be anybody to blame. When you go to hell, the fires of hell, you won't be able to defend yourself. Did you know the rich man never asked to get out of hell? That's significant, isn't it? He'd like to have a drop of water. Try to keep his brothers out. But he never one time said, take me out of here. Why didn't he do it? He knew he had no excuse being there. He knew his doom was sealed. There wasn't any reason for it. He had his chance. Now, I don't know how you feel about it. I don't want to shock anybody. I don't want to shock anybody. I want you to listen closely. And some theologians may not agree with this. But I don't believe that God ever lets any man go to hell without some kind of a chance to go to heaven. Now, let me make that clear now. Now, we are living in the gospel dispensation. But there are other dispensations. You have a dispensation of conscience back there. A dispensation of law, see. Now, a man that never heard the gospel, 
I think God places on one of those dispensations. But the man that lived under the dispensation of conscience went to hell. And man lived under the dispensation of law went to hell. I think that God Almighty takes a poor heathen that never heard about the blood of Christ. I think so. Now, I, I'm just giving you what I think. And he doesn't put that man in the gospel dispensation, but makes the gospel sufficient in the blood of Christ. Nobody can be saved without the blood of Christ. If Jesus hadn't died, nobody could ever gone to heaven. Did you ever know it when a man died before Christ rose from the dead? He went to, there were two compartments in the underworld. The compartment of paradise, which was where the Lazarus went, and the bad compartment where the wicked went. When the creed says he descended into hell, that's what he did. But hell had a good compartment in it, compartment of paradise, see? Where they were kept there, uh, waiting until Jesus rose from the dead to take him up to the Father. They were reading the Bible when he sent on high, led a multitude of captives captive, see? He didn't take him out of that bad compartment. They're there crying right now for water. But he put his arm around everybody in paradise when he rose from dead and took them all up to heaven with him, see? Nobody can go to heaven without Christ. It is necessary. But a man that lives in a heathen land, some heathen country, never heard of the gospel, never heard Jesus die from him, didn't know if such a story ever been told. Well, I think God dispensationally puts him back over there in some other dispensation and gives him some chance, see? Some kind of a chance and makes the blood of Christ avail. Now, that's my opinion. But wait a minute. That's got nothing to do with you. You know what to do. You know you've sinned against God. You, you know you haven't lived right. And now, let you forget that heathen fellow. Come on down here. You know, you've heard all your life that Jesus Christ died for. And you know it. The Bible's told you about sin, and you've just run rough shot over it. And you've kicked over every red lantern of warning that God ever put on every dangerous place. And when the finger of God pointed to this road and says, Come this way by Calvary's cross and be saved, you didn't do it. Now, you miserable sinner, you've been reproved over and over and over and over again. And you harden your neck against God Almighty. And you're getting harder, some of you, every day you live. Now, remember, he that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be suddenly destroyed, and that is our remedy. Now, I think God has another method by which he proves man was in. And that's the method of uh, what I'd call human conscience. Now, every man has some kind of a conscience. Of course, your conscience is regulated by what you believe. Conscience is not a safe guide unless you have truth for your creed, see. Uh, for instance, a Catholic's conscience hurt if he didn't go to Mass this morning. Protestant conscience didn't, didn't hurt him for staying away because he doesn't believe what a Catholic believes. He believes in the authoritative Bible while the Catholic emphasizes an authoritative church, see? Your conscience is regulated by what you believe. Now, you, can, uh, you can't believe right, have the right kind of conscience unless you have the right kind of creed. You've got to believe the truth. The Bible says you can believe a lie and be damned. You have to have the right kind of a creed. You've got to believe the truth, see? You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. But that's so. Yet there is something to every man that makes him feel like he needs something outside of himself. And everybody has a God. You're reaching up at something. Uh, you're hungry for something. I'm talking to somebody right now. You up late last night and you're sitting there at home listening to me right now. All you got last night out of sinful pleasure didn't satisfy you. You're sitting right there today, right where you are. You better watch your step. You're hungry for God. That pulling at your heart for something you've never had. That's one of God's methods of moving upon man. We read the Bible that 
that the Spirit of God uh, in the world holds back, see, uh, the day of apostasy for the world until Jesus Christ takes the uh, Christian people out of the world. And then apostasy, hopeless apostasy seems to settle. Antichrist takes over. All right, now your conscience. I remember when I was a college boy, we used to stay up night late and study. And sometimes we got away, we'd uh, put alarm clocks in the, wake us up in the morning, you know. And I remember we got away, we, we didn't always get up when the alarm would go off. And uh, we'd go ahead, and I remember one time, we boys in the room, about four of us, we had a great big zinc tub in there. We had three alarm clocks. And we were so hard to wake up in the morning, we set them all three off to go over to the zinc club. We had to get up the tub, see. It took more and more alarm to disturb us, see. All right, the same thing happens in the hearts of hearts and consciences of men. Now, God Almighty has been speaking to you so many times, so many ways through the years with your conscience, and God where you now look at you. Look at your name, going on day by day, and conscience is still crying out. You better watch your step, buddy. You better not tamper. That voice that cries in your soul is God Almighty's method of moving on some of you. You better watch out. He that being often approved, hardeneth his neck, shall be suddenly destroyed in that hour. Now the Lord has another method by which he approves me. And that's the method of special events or special manifestation of providence. You know, uh, Paul was going down the Damascus Road and he saw a light flash from him and he heard a voice out of the sky saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now that was a special providential intervention in the life of Paul. He saw a light, went blind, heard a voice out of the sky. Now Paul's the only man that God ever came to in that way. His conversion was different from all other conversions. He said so. He said his conversion was a type of the conversion of the Jewish ways at some future day. But Paul had a special call of God, and you've had a special call of God. Every one of you has had a special call. I've told some mother today. Maybe one time you were a worldly woman without Christ. One day a little baby was born. The little late little thing on your arm, and you said, I ought to be a Christian then. I've got a baby to rear, and I'm not a Christian. I ought to be right with God. God was speaking to you, that providential manifestation. You know when your mother died, don't you? You stood there and watched her. She closed her eyes and just dreamed the sleep of death. And you said, my mother was a Christian. She prayed for me. I ought to be right now, but I'm not right. That was God's method of speaking to you. At the, in the shadow of your mother's death, God spoke to you. You remember one time, you remember, some of you listened to me. Some man listened to me. And you were, a baby died, and you tried to be brave around the house. But you know, men feel things too. Don't you women think that you have all the tenderness of all? You know, we men just don't show our tears like you show you. We have a sort of feel it's not quite manly to break down and weep sometimes. But you remember when your baby died? You father listened to me. Your baby was buried. And you tried to be brave around your home and told your wife not to take it so hard. Your baby made you say it's better off. And one day you slipped over the graveyard, you remember? And you sat down by that little grave. You, you wanted to hold that baby again. And you thought you looked up the sky, and in your imagination you saw a little chubby hand reaching through the blue, saying, Daddy, I'm up here. I'm not down there. And you said, I ought to be a good man. 
My little baby isn't here, but I'd like to see my baby sometime. I ought to be right. I ought to be a Christian. I ought to change my life. I ought to get right with God. I shouldn't live like this. I know it. Now, maybe I'll change. You got up and went home. But you hadn't changed, my friend. You're still a sinner without God. Still a sinner on your way to hell. And the only thing between you and hell is that little puppet in your bosom. It won't be long. You'll be sleeping out John in the cemetery, too. Near the baby's grave. But you won't be with the baby. That baby's up in heaven. In the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ, your little baby. And God spoke to you in the shadow of the baby's coffin and at the baby's grave. It was a special call God made. And then don't you remember one time, maybe you heard a message on the radio. You may have heard something I said. And you sat there and said, I wonder if he means what he's talking about. You say, I believe that fellow sincere. I can't help but think he must mean what he's saying. And I know what he's saying right. I ought to be a different man, a different woman. Time needs to change. I shouldn't go on like this. Uh, maybe I ought to change. Well, I'll think it over. But you haven't changed. You're still a sinner. Lost out God. Oh, how many times God's spoken to you. He's called you. Your neighbor died. Maybe a good friend of yours. And you said, that fellow's dead. I'll be dying someday. I'll get right. God was speaking to you out of the loneliness that came to you when you lost that neighbor over there. Oh, how God's talked to you. Now, let me tell you something. You better quit tampering with God Almighty. You're playing with judgment and eternity into the fires of hell. You better read this text again. How many times God's talked to somebody? Over and over and over. When you've gone on in your life of sin. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be suddenly destroyed. Now, there's another method. All these other methods are included in this one. Conscience, providence, the Bible, everything. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, when he has come, will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He will do it. Now, it's he that uses the word. He that touches the conscience. It's he that uh, moves in the midst of the providence. But he uses, of course, the word of God specifically. Now, that's the Holy Spirit. He's in the world not only to reprove you, but to testify of Jesus who can save you. Now, you are dealing with the Holy Ghost. Now, notice this word. The most sensitive person in all this world is the Holy Spirit. So sensitive is he that the Bible says in substance. Now, these are not the words. If you sin against God, there's hope for you. If you sin against Jesus, there's hope for you. But if you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, there's no forgiveness for you in this age or the age to come. There's nothing more terrible than to grieve the Holy Ghost and rebel against him and harden your heart against him. Now, notice when Jesus came, he came to represent the Father, died on the cross, saved him. And the world rejected him. Just think how cruelly they rejected him. But he didn't give you up. He said, uh, I'll pray the Father, he'll send you another. So he went on to heaven. Now, in when he got up there, the Holy Spirit, his other self, a person, just as much of a person as Jesus. He has the body of Jesus. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. A person is a self-conscious being with a free will. The Holy Spirit's a person. We think of a person as a human being. A human being is a person, but a person is not necessarily a human being. A person is a self-conscious being with a free will. 
Now, the Holy Spirit, for nearly 2,000 years, a person has been in this world. He stands in the pulpits with orthodox preachers. He moves upon people. He convicts them of sin. He's touched your heart. He's made you realize that you're lost. He's dealt with you personally. Now, you are sitting that day right now while I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit speaking to some of you. He's saying, now, that man, Bob Jones, is right. What he's telling you. You ought to change. You ought to turn you leave. You ought to ask for forgiveness. You ought to trust Jesus to save you. You ought to be a Christian. The Holy Spirit speaking to you. Now, that's the wake of the Holy Ghost to reprove, to convict, see. But he's very sensitive. You better watch out how you treat him. Do you know there's some things that God Almighty won't put up with? Did you ever stop thinking about it? Don't get an idea that God Almighty will tolerate everything. God won't put up with him. He's long-suffering. But he said, you're not always child. Now, you just don't. You better quit spitting in the face of God Almighty. He won't stand everything, I'm telling you. He's a good God, a merciful God, long-suffering God. But he will not always child. Neither will he keep back his anger forever. Now, you better watch your step. God's been good to you. Suppose you'd have been born in some dark land where you never saw a Bible. Why, the first book you ever saw was your mother's Bible. Suppose you'd never been where you could hear anybody preach. Suppose you'd never heard the gospel. Why, you know hell won't be hot enough for some of you sinners. It won't be hot enough. God will have to make a special hell for somebody. You've had every chance that anybody needs to be a Christian, to be right with God. But you're not right with him. You're lost in sin, some of you. And you grieve the Holy Ghost. Now, you are not rejecting me if I talk to you like this. You can reject me. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. You can say, I don't care about Bob Jones. Listen, but you better care about what I'm telling you. You better accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You better listen to that man. I'm sincere. I'm trying to get you to it. You better listen to him as he speaks to you. I've gone up and down this country, and sometimes I've seen women. Heads gray 20 years too soon. Face pinched full of wrinkles of pain. They've said to me, I want you to pray for my husband. He's a good man. But you know, he's just an awful sinner. I, 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 I've been devoted to him. I've tried to be a good wife to him, but I've had a hard time in life. I, I don't want to be disloyal, but, but, but I want you to pray for him. He's, he's just broken my heart. And I've said to myself, how could a man treat a woman like that? How, how could any man be mean enough to step on the heart of his wife and turn her head gray so long before it should be gray? Woman well, we promised to love and protect. And sometimes I have mothers come to me and they're always kind about their boys. They'll say, me, won't you pray for my boy? He's not a bad boy. He was always such a sweet baby, such a good boy. But he's wandered away now and he's living in sin and my heart's just broken. I pray for him. I just don't think I can live if he goes on like this. And, and pray for my boy. But don't, don't think he's bad. He's just, he's just weak and got in a bad crowd, you know. And I say to myself, how could a boy be as mean as that to his mother? How could he do it to her like that? How could he treat her that way? But wait a minute. If I could pull back the curtain today that hides the invisible, I could show you something sadder than that. I could show you the Holy Spirit. I see him now, figure speaking with his face and his hands and tears on his cheeks, saying, My heart's broken. I came down here to represent Jesus. I'm his messenger to get people to accept him, get them to turn their back on sin. And that man rejects him. And you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You better stop it. Now, you better listen today. 
He that being often approved hardeneth his neck shall be suddenly destroyed, and that thou remedy. Many women, there's some things that love won't stand. Did you know the purer love is, the more sensitive it is? The more refined it is? And when you take the purest love, you take the most sensitive love. And God, who is infinite in love, is also infinite in his hatred of that which is wrong. And you better watch out. Years ago when I was a boy, I heard a story about an old aristocratic southern man back in the antebellum days. He had a wife and just one son. And this old man was such a wonderful man, so kind, good, devout Christian, honest and upright. And his wife was so wonderful and such a sweet Christian too. And they had just his one son. But he was a bad boy. They tried to help one of those strange cases. The boy grew up, he wouldn't go to church, he wouldn't get right with God. And he'd go downtown and get drunk. And uh, they'd lock him up, they had to. One of those characters, you had to put him in a lockup and get drunk. And after a while, the mother said, I'm afraid they got the boy in the lockup, dear. You better go get him. And uh, the old man go downtown, pay the fine, take him out, take him home. Put him to bed and the mother bathe him with her tears and watch over him to get sober, make him some soup and take care of him. The boy went on bad to worse, but they said they'd never give him up. They said they'd never give him up. He's our boy. We'll never give him up. And time passed. And people all over the community around said, I don't think uh, we ought to pay attention to him. Anybody would treat a good woman like that to his mother and that father like that, don't let him go. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. And then the mother and father just held on and on and on. And one day a neighbor said, Mr. So-and-so, uh, excuse me, I don't know how to tell it to you, but you know your neighbors kind of feel like it. You and the mother, you and your wife are too good to that boy. We'd just let him go. Oh, but they said, he said, don't talk to me like that. Don't, 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 don't say that to me. He's my boy, you know. I couldn't go back on him. He's the boy. He's just weak. He's got this appetite. And I, I, I'm sorry, but I just, I never give him up. We, we talked over till, till, till we die. We would hold on to him. So one day, he stayed out of home a day or two, and the wife said, I, I'm afraid you got him to lock up again. Better go get him. He drove downtown. We'd been a many times. And drove round to the wagon yard to tie his horse and started round, as we said, the old lazy calaboose, the locker. And he started around. He saw the boy coming. He hadn't been locked up, but he was drunk. And he walked up and spat in his father's face and then began to hit him with his wicked, cruel fist while he's drunk. He said, you get on back home. I'm tired of you following me around. I don't love you, care anything about you. I'll drink as much liquor as I want to drink and live like I want to live. You just go on back home. The old man looked at him a minute and wiped the spittle of his son out of the beard that was filled with his tear and turned around, went back and untied his horse slowly. Drove back home. And he turned the horse over to a colored man and said, take him out and put him in the lot. He didn't go in the house. 
Went out a little grove in front of his home. Stood there a little while and leaned his old feeble, trembling form up against a tree. And stood and stood. And then he stepped back and gave the most unearthly scream that ever fell from human lips. And he turned around and started home and went back and propped to the tree again. And gave the most, another one of those terrible earthly screams. Then slowly went towards the home. The wife was away. He walked up and down the front porch with his eagle eyes turned up the road. And after a while, saw the boy coming. The boy staggered up to the gate and unlocked the gate and unlatched the gate and staggered up the eyes, I walk, muttering and swearing and cursing about his father. He staggered up on the front steps and uh, the father caught him in the collar and kicked him off in the yard and said, off these premises forever. And he went on off and the father never let him come to the house. Never went about him. A few days later, he died. The old man wouldn't attend his funeral or even pay his burial expenses. Let him go. Done forever with him. You say that's cruel, but listen, don't you presume on love. You're rejecting the Son of God, God's Son, that died on the cross to save him. You've turned your back on him. Let me tell you, many women, you better quit playing with your eternal destiny. You better watch your step. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be suddenly destroyed, and there thou remedy. There is a time I know not when, a place I know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line to us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. Turn, sinner, turn. Why will you die? God, your maker, asks you why. I could go back here and write volumes of my experiences and advances. I have seen many in a many a campaign where we try to reach special cases who would be under conviction and they'd reject Jesus Christ. And I wouldn't be mourned out of town till some of them were dead. And I wondered if that's what this means. I think it must mean physical death. Do you remember the Old Testament where he said, you go tell that man that he's taught rebellion against God and this year he shall die. And this man walked up and said, the old prophet of God said, you've taught rebellion against God and this year you'll die. He died that year. Why are you reading the Bible about Christian people, born-again Christian people, about death, see? Some of them are sick, some of them die, see? You take the passage of Scripture, even the Christian. Every branch may bring not fruit, he takes it away. He purges it, takes it away, every branch. It brings not fruit, takes it away, see? Purges it, takes it away. Uh, I think it means physical death. There's a sin unto death, the Bible says. But sinner, this is your sin. You're reproved and you're hardening it against God. Don't do it. Now, you can be saved right by your radio if you want to be saved. You can't save yourself. You don't have to save yourself. Did you know a man came by here a day or two ago and heard me over radio down in Florida? He's an Italian, been in this country for years. He came by here and said, heard you on the radio. And in my office, I led him to the Lord just a day or two ago. Sent him on his way with tears in his eyes. 
Now, you can accept Jesus Christ. You don't have to see anybody. Just get down there on your knees right where you are and trust him as you see. Why don't you do it now? Oh, Lord God, we lift our hearts to thee in prayer for somebody. It may be that somehow today, we don't know, Lord, but it may be you wanted some poor sinner to hear this message, and it may be the last thing he'll ever get. And this may be the hour of destiny for some soul. Well, Lord, we've done the best we could. This Sunday morning, we thought about folks at home who didn't go to church, old saints there, some of them that couldn't go. Some of them at home are sitting around there, sinners that maybe tuned on the radio or just called it. Maybe somebody in an automobile somewhere. They've heard this message. They've no excuse. We pray to help them to see they have no excuse, to help them right now to surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, wait just a moment. Won't some of you drop us a letter and message and tell us that you did it? Somebody's been away from God will come back. Just write us here at Bob Jones University. Bob Jones Sr., we'll get you a letter. We'll send you a little literature to help you if we can. Won't you do it? Our Father, help him do it. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.